Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear as Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption is that the listeners have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And the merch. That's right, everybody. We've got a great website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. And we've got all kinds of merchandise there. So please check it out. We got hoodies and t-shirts and cups and all kinds of great stuff. We still, as always, want to answer your fan questions. So email us what you want to know at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com. Today, we are at season two, episode eight, Seeing Other People, written by Liz Heldens and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. The NBC synopsis says, Smash goes on his first recruiting trip. Matt asks his girlfriend for an open relationship. And the brother of Tyra's attacker asks to meet with him. We have an awesome guest with us today, a good buddy of mine, Joey Oglesby, who plays Guy Raston. And before we chat with Joey, let's get into the highlights of this episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My first thought at the beginning of this, football is so sacred into this town and the traditions that go into the game and seeing Julie and Noah or Mr. B sitting together at the game. I'm not a fan. I don't like it. You're not a fan. You know who else isn't a fan? Tammy Taylor. Tammy, not a big fan. You can tell. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was yeah. skeevy. There's a line and he's crossing it. Yeah, there's line crossed. He may not have done anything other than that, but it's just the appearance in and of itself is enough. It's too much. Imagine sitting with a teacher out of the thought of it freaks me yeah. out. I have a question for you, Derek. Yes. If somebody said to you, it's like Cabo in my pants, could you explain that to me? No, I am not going to explain that to you because I don't okay. want to get canceled. I personally have never heard the term, but I will be immediately putting it in my vernacular. Cabo in my pants. Even though I don't know what it means necessarily. I, I mean, it's going to be a party in his pants, right? Oh, oh, oh smash. <laughs> then we see Glenn comfy as can be feet up in Tammy's office, door closed. They're chowing down hamburgers. He just seemed 
very comfortable. This is a great little scene here. I love the tension that's set up here and that Glenn is just completely and totally oblivious to it. But that dynamic that we've talked about a hundred times on this show between Coach and Tammy, it's always so great. These two play so well off each other. What they're doing, it's like walking a tightrope because they're constantly arguing on the show. There's always tension. There's always some kind of push in either direction, but it's rarely fighting. And it's just so fun to watch the two of them go at each other. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Tammy's just wanting a night out. And Coach thinks she might want a night out with him. And the reality is she's like, no, I want a night out with adults, people that I can have a conversation with. So yeah, there's a lot of tension with these two right now. There's just something so special about it that I know it's Glenn, but it's also like watching Coach Taylor be jealous of Stephen Walters in my head. And it's just very fun. Yeah, I love it. It's a very fun thing to have. And then Joey coming into the scene in his tidy whities I've decided that FNL loves our friend group, specifically (laughs) right now, you, me, and Joey coming in in our underwear. Yes, scantily clad. It's almost like our agents all got together and said, these two can only work, or three can only work on the four. Oh, I guess Steve. Steve doesn't get in his underwear. No, it's just the three of us. We need Steve to get in his underwear at some point. I, I will say that's one of the things that I love about Reiner is he is not afraid to take a scene and really embrace the absurdity of it. Think about all the crazy stuff we got going on in the scene. We got ferrets. We've got a, a guy with these massive mutton chops. He's making whiskey smoothies and he's in mm-hmm. his tidy whities But there's also a level of like kind of fear. Like we love Tim. And so like, who is this guy? This guy is creepy and weird. Seems a little, a little dangerous. Yeah. As you said, an element of danger to it. But there's also this level of absurdity to it. And Reiner is not afraid to embrace that and also play some of the comedic elements of it. It's one of the things that I think he does so well as a director. One of the things that I love about Friday Night Lights on almost any other show, they'd be like, oh, no, 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 we can't. We can't have this guy in his underwear. That wouldn't be proper. And like, why not? I just love that they gave him ferrets too. It's such an odd choice, but it works so well for Guy Rustin. Oh boy. Okay, here we go. The Julie teacher thing is now so far over the line. I could tell the minute Tammy took him into the room that it was time to have the talk. I didn't know it would be that talk, but I was rooting for Tammy. I didn't know it was going to get that heated, to be honest with you. But yeah, I mean, Noah really, as I said before, he was walking the tightrope of inappropriate behavior. And I I think he's fallen off that tightrope. You can't be taking students to football games. Like Tammy says, at one point he like touches her arm and it's like, no, dude, you you can't do that. And even if Mm -hmm. it is innocent, you can't do that. Not okay. What frustrates me about this, I think more than anything else, is that this is literally the last time we see Noah. That's it. This is Austin's last episode? Yeah, that's the end of his arc. And you got to assume, once again, and I know we've talked about this, you got to assume when they're bringing Austin Nichols down here who had just come off a pretty big show, Mm -hmm. like you got to think that they plan on doing more with him than just these two episodes. Maybe not. Maybe that was all that this was. I just wonder if that, what we can surmise of that as a story now that it would be that maybe he's not academia. He needs to go back and be a journalist. Like he knows those boundaries more. Possibly. You know, I mean, I think maybe the writers did plan more for his character. It's possible that Austin wound up booking another gig. We don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, but that happens, guys. I mean, this is television. It's a constantly changing art form. Yep. It's a moving train. I say my mm-hmm. job is just to not get in the way of the moving train whenever I'm on a TV set. Just make sure everything else goes smoothly. Oh, Guy Raston, but I'm going to call him Joey because he's our <laughs> friend and I love him. Joey with the mutton chops. This scene broke me. I had seen a rough cut of the scene and Joey had told me about it, but it was like, what, 14 years ago. So this is the first time I had seen it in context. And he pulls out that duck collar and then there's antlers. I could tell at the end that that was a genuine Taylor Kitsch laugh. And it made my heart happy because I was 
howling. Just FYI, guys, I mean, we discussed this previously on the show. Stacy and I both were friends with Joey before Joey got on the show, and Joey plays Guy Raston. And as I said before in a previous episode, Joey was my roommate in New York at one point in time. We lived across from each other for like seven or eight years in L.A., we went to college together. So it was fun for me because Joey, as I said, is one of my best friends on the planet. And then for him to get on the show was even better. And then he's working with my brother. It's even better. Mm -hmm. But I love his line here where he says man versus nature. And then he just throws the bottle of booze out of the, I guess it's a deer blind. I don't know. It's so perfect. We're going to have Joey on later and ask him. I don't know if he's hunting deer or if he's hunting rabbit. I don't know what he's hunting up there. Ducks. It doesn't yeah. matter. I have always loved Joey as a performer. I've seen him do a ton of sketch comedy and mm -hmm. dramas and musicals. Joey always carries with him a sincerity, even if it's yeah. in the ugliest, darkest or farce moments. It comes from a place of truth. I love watching Joey perform. He's got a very Bill Murray vibe in this scene too, right at the end. Bill Murray from like Caddyshack. A little bit. A yeah. little bit. Speaking of performers I love, again, this being the first time I've watched the show, all of a sudden, my very good friend Ashley Wood shows up playing Jeff, who is the brother of the man who assaulted Tyra. I didn't know Ashley was in our show. I got very excited. Ashley and I did in rep at Shakespeare in the Park. We did Hamlet and The Tempest. And he played, Derek, I'm sorry, Ashley played Hamlet. It was great. And I was the player queen. And then in Tempest, I was Miranda and he was my Prince Ferdinand. And he is just a ridiculously good actor. He is. And this is something that we'll talk about this later. It's one of the unfortunate things that happens sometimes on TV shows is that you audition for a show that you want to be a part of and you get the job. That's sometimes the unfortunate thing because that job may wind up being one scene or two scenes. And it's like, Ashley's such a talented guy. It's almost so a waste that we only got him for this one scene. I agree. He's great in the scene. But when I think about like how he could have been utilized in the future at some point, but like casting doesn't know that. They just got to get that job fulfilled now. And he did such a good part for what they needed. But yeah, he's he great, could have been man. something greater later. Yeah, he and that scene with Jesse Plemons, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Just selfishly watching my friends pop up on the show, I just scream at my yeah. TV. I have to say, I know there's danger and I know this thing is a little edgy, but there's maybe something in Guy Raston and Tim Riggins that they're a little bit of kindred spirits in a weird way. <laughs> they're definitely very funny together. That's for sure. Once again, I'm glad I pitched this storyline of me and Brooke dating so Joey could have all these fun scenes with Taylor. Yeah, he really owes his career to you. Let's talk about that. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I'm just <laughs> glad he's getting to have all this fun. Meanwhile, I'm back in LA going, when am I ever going to work again? Am I ever <laughs> going to be on Friday Night Lights again? What's going on? Probably never. That's what was going on in my head. Meanwhile, my two closest friends on the planet Steve and Joey were like laughing it up, having a great time down in, in Austin, in Austin without you. with all the people I'd worked with on this show for the past year, sending me pictures of them and Brad and Taylor. And meanwhile, one of the things I love about this show is I love when FNL has a character leave Dylan. In this case, smashes on a recruiting trip to McNair State, which is definitely in a more happening city than Dylan. We don't know where McNair State is. It's not a real school. I love this club scene that we shot with Smash. It feels very, very different tonally from FNL. And it looks super slick. Big shout out to our location scouts on finding these different environments anytime someone leaves Dylan, because technically we're just shooting some other aspect of Austin. If I'm being honest, I think this looks like fourth and Lavaca, but I can't be positive. Yeah. And our camera operators, I just love the way that they shot this scene. It feels like something out of a Michael Mann movie. It does feel very separate to what yeah. we've established so far. Good. It shouldn't feel like Dylan. Yeah, it, it's not Dylan. And I think it's supposed to be a massive contrast in the sense that like Smash has essentially walked into Potterville, like the modern day version of Potterville. This is a town that is rife with parties and 
clubs and loose women. Also, those other athletes looked like very grown adults. I never thought about Gaius as looking so young, but comparatively, it really worked. I was like, oh, those are very grown men. But it's college, so like... Yeah, you see some of these college athletes and guys have receding hairlines. <laughs> like, how am I <laughs> almost 50 and that guy looks older than me? Very, very fun. Again, we're talking about this. Bickering is, is a weird word for it because it's more fun than that with Coach and Tammy, but this relationship that they have, everything is done with love and with a hint of humor. But when he says, you need to pay more attention to your family, that was deeper. Those are fighting mm-hmm. words. Well, I said earlier in this episode, they're rarely fighting. This is a fight. And like when she yeah. says, you got to stay on the couch tonight. Like, yeah, I even sat there going, probably ought oh. to get comfortable on that couch, coach. But also like you left for a while, yeah. Eric, and uh, now you're back. Yep. You're about to find your place in again. I also love that he called it goofy. <laughs> sure. Speaking of the whole Gaius being in the other town, him running through that hallway in his boxers, that was just a great tracking shot, first of all. But it was, yeah. It was funny. It was. I also love this whole entire thing. Smash's recruiting trip winds up being kind of a moment for him and Smash to bond because Smash winds up calling Matt to come get him. And so Matt is kind of forced to go down to wherever McNair State is and pick him up while he's in his underwear. And then he asks him, how was Cabo in your pants? And I was like, oh, there it is. Great callback. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. But this is also, this drive back is where Matt and Smash have the opportunity to talk relationships. And Smash gives him the advice to tell Lauren, because Matt wants to break up with Lauren because he wants to pursue Carlotta. Smash basically tells him to tell her you want an open relationship. Note to self, never take relationship advice from Smash Williams. I would say don't take relationship advice from somebody who talks about themselves in the first person. Isn't it third person? It would be third person. You're usually good at this English stuff. What happened today? I am. Come on, Stacy. Mad at myself. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to keep it in. I'm not even going to cut it out. So I am an imperfect, flawed person. There you go. This scene with Landry and Lila is strange, but sweet at the yeah. same time. I was also kind of surprised that Lila even knew who Landry was. Well, she did ride with us in the car on the way to That's state. That's right. That's right. But it might still be a Lance situation. At least he's moved <laughs> up from Lance to Landry. The two of them together is such a weird pairing, though, but it was very sweet. And he has lots of questions. All of a sudden, the sh- show turned into Breaking Bad. And I think I remembered that that's what Guy did. I don't know if I knew that we saw it in such like a descriptive way. That guy's running a meth lab. Yeah, I couldn't remember that either, to be honest with you, because it kind of took me aback when I saw it this time. It's been a long time since I've watched these episodes. And I guess I knew that he was a meth dealer, but maybe I didn't realize that he was actually cooking the meth. You That's know what, what I, mean? I, th- I thought maybe he was just making it for himself because he asked him to go get cough medicine or whatever. But no, he's full out running a full on, very dangerously small lab. Yeah. Very explosive in there. <laughs> My show's getting dangerous, but yeah. I do have to say, I was genuinely a little proud of Tim Riggins and him suiting up and getting on the field and finding a way to prove to coach that he wants to earn his place back. So at least he's earned a place on the field for practice so far. I think basically what happens is, you know, after he has this moment with Guy Rasson where Guy Rasson goes, I'll kill you. (laughs) And then kind of smiles and it's like, you realize this guy's nuts. I mean, we knew he wasn't good people before this. I think all the warning signs were there, but it's like, this is not going to end well. Yeah, now he's a scary person. He's trouble. In the midst of that, Tim getting back on the football field, very important for Tim and his well-being, but it it also was just kind of a much-needed moment of levity after that scene with Guy Raston. But I love what Tim says. He basically makes his apologies to the whole entire team and then immediately walks over to some kid and goes, hey, get out of my spot, rookie. Just cracks me up. 
There was also a moment too when he looks at one kid who I guess has only been in practice and he like looks at his jersey and then he's like, hey, four six. And I was yeah. like, oh, he doesn't know his name at all. Doesn't know the kid's name at all. Probably some extra. <laughs> perfect. Kitsch was probably just improv. Meanwhile, this whole scene with Carlotta here, I'm pretty sure Matt loses his virginity here. That's what I got out of it. Yeah. I'm very uncomfortable. Go Matt. Yeah, I guess go Matt. Oh, no, I feel dirty saying that. I'm not okay with it. But I do have to say, you guys, again, I'll keep hitting this point. This is my first time watching this show. What is Landry doing? He's already admitted to his father. But there's that, what he's calling Christian guilt or whatever is sitting inside of him to tell the truth that he goes and tells the other police officers, hey, I killed that dude. What? It's also just a beautifully lit scene, if you notice. The whole entire scene when he's walking into the police station is backlit. And there's, yeah, it's just that silhouette. Yeah, really beautifully shot. But I'm right there with you, Stacey. He's talked about it before. That guilt has just been riding him week in and week out, and he can't live with it anymore. I legit, so. because I am sort of watching it this way, but if I were watching it week to week, and you know you can't binge it, I would scream at my TV and be like, that's too much of a cliffhanger for next week. Mm, I'm already mm, mm. feeling that way because I haven't watched the next episode yet. Well, go watch it. Jeez. I mean, I, I can, can't I? I could go do it right now. <laughs> the thing that could happen. Guys, this is enough of me and Derek because you're about to fall in love with our very good friend, Joey Oglesby. That is right. Please stick around. We've got Joey Oglesby coming on the show in about oh, 2.5 seconds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody, I'm here with one of my best friends on the planet, super talented actor Joey Oglesby, who plays everyone's favorite ferret guy slash meth dealer slash degenerate roommate, the mutton shop sex pot known as Guy Raston. <laughs> Joey has appeared in numerous films and TV shows, including Private Practice, Prison Break, Trauma, Law and Order, SVU, NCIS, and most recently, 1883. Joey has also appeared in the award-winning film Fruitvale Station, directed by Ryan Coogler of Black Panther fame. He was opposite another FNL alumni, Michael B. Jordan. Most recently, Joey worked on the film Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese, and starring two up-and-coming actors, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. What's up, Derek Phillips? <laughs> How are you, man? So Stacey and I have actually talked about this a little bit on the show before, but you and I have known each other for, I mean, what, 20? Five years, twenty-four years, long maybe longer. Twenty-six, oh twenty-seven years. Twenty-seven years. How is that possible? So you and I went to college together. I was a junior when you were a freshman. Is that correct? That's I right. can't remember. I'm terrible with math. But yeah, man. So I was going to say, when did we first meet? I know we did a musical together. Did me and my girl your junior year, my freshman year? Both I'm sorry, of us. Derek was in a musical. This is correct. This is the musical, actually, where I was told not to sing. I I've also done a musical with Stacy, haven't I? Joey and I were cast. We were in rehearsals for Best Little Whorehouse in Texas when I booked Friday Night and Lights. Friday Night Lights. That's and right. then I had to, I brought my friend Jen Green in and taught her my track and I bolted. Yeah. But then I came to see you and you were really funny and good. Actually, the, the musical that Joey and I did in college was called Me and My Girl. And I'm not kidding. The musical director pulled me aside at one point and she goes, I'm so sorry to do this. But, and I go, Lena, talk to me. What's going on? She goes, we can hear you out there. And I go, that's good. I'm projecting. And she goes, not so much. 
I've never had to do this before, but would you please not sing? And I was like, of course. But they just cast me because I was so talented. But Joey, how'd you get into acting, man? Like a lot of people, probably my first acting was at church, you know, skits and reenactments. But very quickly, I, I realized I liked it. So as a freshman, I took as my one elective a theater class and got cast and did a show with Missoula's Children's Theater as they were coming through and really had the bug from then. I was an athlete too, but acting was kind of pulling at me. And by the time it was my senior year, I kind of switched to a more specialized theater program that we offered and, and then decided to major in it at Baylor. So a lot of people probably don't know this. You and I were roommates in New York for a point in time. You have a very interesting New York experience in the sense that, I mean, can you talk to us about when you actually moved to New York? Sure. Well, I was scheduled to move up there to become your roommate on September 13th, oh, uh, 2001. And obviously 9-11 happened and you're trying to figure out what to do. And what happened, Bush came out and he's like, the only thing you can do to not let them win is keep going with what you're going to do in your life. So I got the first, in fact, I was one of the first planes into New York City that they allowed in. I can remember banking over 9-11, looking down into uh, ground zero and then landing at LaGuardia. And this weird thing of sadness that was upon you and also the excitement of chasing your dreams and moving to New York City and being a part of everything you'd always want to be a part of. And that night, I think you probably remember it well, Derek, not just yeah. because it was the day I moved, but because it was the first night that people really went out in New York. It's like everybody had been holding their breath the last four days and people needed a drink. Yeah. You know, people needed to get out. And we went out that night to McCann's, which is a place that a lot of us in Astoria went to. And mm -hmm. Just one of the coolest nights, saddest nights, most joyful nights. It was just this weird combination of all those things. I think you'll remember that it was a lot more locals than normal at McCann's. Yeah. Usually it was kind of an artist bar, but all, all the locals were out there. And there was a lot of cool stories from that night. But the coolest one is when they put on New York, New York, and yeah. everybody kind of sang in unison. That was my first night in New York City as a I guess, as a resident. It was. It was, it was a, a surreal experience. It was surreal. Uh, there was a good two to three days after 9-11, maybe even a week, where I, you would be walking down the street and a stranger would cry and another stranger would go up and hug that person, which never happens in New York City. But for like a while, it was, I don't know, like nurturing and sweet in a way that New York City never was before. It was surreal. Yeah, I remember it was probably about two or three weeks after September 11th when somebody told me to go F myself. And I was like, oh, we're back. Yeah, it was a very surreal experience all after that. Not to be Debbie Downer on this podcast, but you and I, we've discussed this, Stacey and I have discussed this a couple of times just about you and I's experience and having gone to school at Baylor together and having been roommates together for years and years in New York. And then we both ended up in LA and wound up living right next door to each other for what, seven or eight years? You guys can't we're, get rid of each other. We're a real life episode of Friends that nobody <laughs> wants to watch. Just Joey, the actor next door, Derek popping in unannounced with a slightly uh, less I, I would watch that than show. Kramer. <laughs> Which one of us is Kramer, I guess? Yeah, that's a question. You. It's me, hands down. Derek. I love that. Outstanding. All right, dude. So talk to us about your audition process for FNL, because I know you were on the show once before this. You, you were on in the first season, episode 19, and you're the guy who sells Tim beer, and you call him Sergeant Riggins as he's walking out the door. So you had already auditioned, been on the show, had a very, very small part in one episode. And then how did that happen? I mean, how did you wind up getting Guy Raston if you'd already been on the show? Yeah, so... What was interesting is I was on hold, and I'm surprised y'all didn't do a whole episode on that scene with me and Riggins. It was a real <laughs> special scene. I 
can play a cashier. I've proven that over my career. I can play a cashier. <laughs> um, earlier, a few episodes earlier, if y'all remember, y'all probably talked about it. There was a fight scene. I can't remember who it was, but it was like, go out to the fight. Yes, yes, yes. Tim getting beat up in the back of the broken spoke and Illy comes That's in. That's right. And I was on hold for that part. And I, I think if you'll remember, Derek, and I was just devastated when I didn't get it. Yeah. And they called me and just, I don't want to brag, but they gave me a straight brag. offer for the cashier. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> straight offer. Guaranteed me like a day in a, in a honey wagon. It was a big time thing for an unknown actor. For those of you at home that don't know, a honey wagon is, they have different trailers on set. And there's what's called a two banger, which is a trailer that has two rooms, basically. That's kind of like the ideal on a television set, unless you're a superstar. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, unless you get uh, Superstars own. have their own big one huge trailer. But like most people, Kyle and Connie and, and most of the series regulars on the show had what was called a two banger. Then there's a three banger, what Stacy and I usually had. But right. then there's a honey wagon and the honey wagon's like 85 rooms. <laughs> it <laughs> looks each. like a jail cell. Honestly, <laughs> it's, it's just tight. It's white walls, a bench and a table. And that's it. My yeah. shoulders are so big, I had to turn sideways to get in the honey wagon. Yes. Not comfy. And there, there so, will be days that you have to spend five hours in there because you're just not up yeah. yet. And it's like, not comfy. Tight quarters. So I got that, was excited, came down there, and I was a little bit, you know, it was a smaller role, and I kind of been hoping for something that wasn't just a cashier. And my agent said, look, Reiner, he's seen everybody. He just, he liked you for that audition. Just come down and do it. And so I went down. And then the next year, they told me it wouldn't affect whether or not I could be on there again. They kind of mentioned that, but people say that all the time just to get you to play what they want you to play, right? Exactly. That's the hard thing for actors. I mean, it's the first time I'd ever been on network TV. So it's like, you want to take it, but you kind of yeah. want, you've seen, you know, we had just seen, we were all doing plays, all of us, the three of us in Dallas. Yeah. We'd just seen you get this and then turn into this thing. And Stacy had gotten it right when we had started Festival of Whorehouse. And mm -hmm. so you kind of have this hope, like, could I be next? And so yeah. season two starts and I keep waiting for a call. Steve Walters gets a call. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember going to our agent, mine and Derek's agent. I don't know who you were with Stacy at the time, but the I went same. To we Susan. all had the same. So I went to Susan and I said, hey, how come I'm not, you know, I thought I was going to get to be up. There. Well, what has there been for you? And I was like, well, there was a pretty good teacher role they just cast. <laughs> I think I said. <laughs> was that um, the Steve part? <laughs> Yeah. Steve's part. Um, You're trying to get Steve's job. Well, I, I was it. trying to get any part. I wasn't trying to get his part. <laughs> I, just, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to audition again. And then I kind of, yeah, yeah. whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So I was doing a play out in Fort Worth called Last Mass at St. Casimir's at Circle Theater. And it was set in the 70s and I had to grow sideburns. Yes. And so I finally get the call. I've got the sideburns. I get the call down that they want to have me audition for this character, Guy Raston. So I, I go down kind of straight to producers type of thing because they had seen me before. And Beth and Reiner were in the room. And I don't know if y'all have talked exhaustively about Reiner and the process, but my scene went well. And then he just kind of, he started kind of toying with me and he wanted me to stay in character. He started like really pushing some buttons, pushing me on things like political things that were happening in the world or kind of more moral things. He wanted to see how Guy Rastin reacted. I won't get into the specifics of him, but it was interesting because there were some times I went with kind of the obvious because here I'm playing this meth kick. I understand these people. I lived in East Tennessee for a little while. Mm -hmm. I've lived in small towns in Texas. I knew who I was playing, but I wanted to kind of turn him a little bit. I wanted him to maybe be pro this that you wouldn't expect him to be. And I think that was really interesting to Reiner. I had a great audition, probably the best audition of my life. I just knew it was going well. And as I was leaving, Beth goes, hey, Joey, 
don't cut those sideburns. And I was yeah. like, yeah. That's we say so. sideburns. We say full on mutton chops. Here's a question. Is Guy Raston a feminist? I don't know if a feminist, but he was definitely pro-gay rights. <laughs> I love it. In the character breakdown, was it that he is a meth dealer? Uh, I don't know if it got as specific as that. It's just, I think it kind of leaned on, if I can remember, it'd be really interesting to go back and see that. But I think it kind of leaned on, you know, somebody that Tim comes and lives with that is a little bit of a ne'er-do-well. This is a little tidbit I got later was that their original vision for Billy Riggins was much more, and correct me if you ever heard different, but this is what I heard, Derek, was much more the Guy Raston type, which you can understand because they wanted to put this heavy thing over Tim. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not that that's what Tim was in the movie, but he was heavier than you were. Yeah. And I think when they got you down there, y'all were such an incredible fit. And just obviously it was kismet and meant to be that they went with you. But I think it's not a coincidence that you kind of disappear and I come and take the place because I think they always wanted that. Reiner also told me later that he wrote that part with me in mind. And he said he couldn't get me out of his head the line where I say, have a good day, Sergeant Riggins. I talked about this on another podcast about kind of blue collar actors that I did. And it's really interesting that this line that I thought, you know, I connected well with, but it was such a throwaway. Reiner said that he could not figure out whether or not I knew he had a fake ID or not. Gotcha. And it just, when he was watching it back, over and over he was like i don't it just it just really stuck in his head and so i stuck <laughs> in his head and then he you know this guy raston and i knew i was doing two episodes which was seven and eight yeah and then it kind of morphed from there I ended up doing five as him and then one as the uh more important cashier <laughs> <laughs> i love that in my head i have made the cashier and guy raston the same guy like the cashier was the Absolutely. beginning of guy raston every other day he would steal some cough medicine and then later ferrets and meth came along. I haven't watched the show, so I'm journeying through this my first time. I saw a rough cut of some of the stuff you did with Taylor Kitsch just for funsies. Can you talk to me about the hunting scene with the duck collar and the antlers? Because I know for a fact that was a genuine Taylor Kitsch laugh and that Joey had made Taylor laugh and it <laughs> broke me. I need to right. know about that scene. Yeah, I, I watched the whole episode this week knowing that y'all are going to be talking about it. And even though we shot at the end of episode seven, there's this big reveal that he's going to be with Guy Raston. We shot that second. So we shot everything at that house. So we, we combined seven and eight, at least at mm -hmm. that house. And the first thing that Tim Riggins ever had to see of Guy Raston was not me opening the door. It was me coming down in my underwear, which I've been doing a lot of sketch comedy, as y'all know by that point. I was used to taking off your shirt for a joke or whatever. I felt pretty comfortable with it. They checked on me, make sure. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, I, I would have done anything at that point. But I think it's set for Taylor, who was built differently than me. Um, <laughs> it just, it sent him up. Like, I just think that he just, and he worked it with the character, which is what's so, he's so great yes. at that. He ended up being scared of me later, as we know, but I think he was tickled by me. He seems bemused by Guy Raston. And not just Taylor by Joey, but he made it, Tim was tickled. Like, yeah. what is this guy? Where did I get here? How did this yeah, happen? Yeah, how am I here? I'm a high schooler and this is wild. Yeah. But did you and, ask for a duck collar and antlers? Did they give them to you? That was, I could not stop laughing. I can't figure what you guys are hunting. I think it was deer, but we were talking about how ridiculous, I mean, some people get it, but it was a conscious thing to talk about nature and then throw a bottle. And yes, that it, was right? literally, we and talk so about that, yeah. They had all this stuff and I would just pick up things and try things oh, and God. then the, the, the whistle just broke him. You know, yeah. back to back it's with the antlers. So and, good. and the truth is, this is a little insight, is I was still in character when I said, what the hell is so funny, man? 
<laughs> because at this point, we have had a blast, and I'm getting along very well with Reiner and Kitsch. I mean, the scene where we're driving, talking about Roadhouse, I've never yeah. cried that much in my life. I remember looking back and seeing Reiner back there with the rig in the back of the truck. Tears are pulling down because we were so tired. And Kitsch and I, it was so ridiculous, the things we were saying. And we we're improvising, as, as we all do on this show. But definitely, if you're working with Kitsch, you are. Yes. I think somebody told me one day, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm glad you memorized the lines, but it probably won't matter to me, you know, <laughs> which I was ready for. But by that time, you're still working on a show with these guys that you've been now watching on TV and you don't, you know, you don't, you don't want to be outside of the joke. So a lot of people at home probably have this with their significant other. Joey's wife, at this point in time, his girlfriend, Summer, had on her short list of guys. What would you call it, Joey? Like a short list of, of it's like... It's the, uh, you know, exclusion list. list. I don't know. It's it's the, yeah. If you can do it, do it list. Yeah. Like your, your laminated list of five people, that's like a free hall pass. Yeah, it's your free hall pass. So like, but one of the people on Summer's list of guys that she would want to hook up with if she had the opportunity to was Taylor Kitsch. But at the time, it was like, I'm never going to meet Taylor Kitsch. Well, then cut to like a year and a half later, Joey's now worked on Friday Night Lights. I was great friends with Kitsch already. Joey becomes good friends with Kitsch. And there's one day where Joey and I, I'm sorry, I'm having to steal this story for your interview, Joey. But Joey and I are sitting there at Joey's house and Taylor comes over and we're all hanging out in LA and Taylor had to use your computer for something. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was talking to his managers or whatever. And Summer, Joey's girlfriend says, hey, Joey, can you guys run up to the store and grab toilet paper? I'm like, I got to get beer. I'll go with you. So I go with Joey. We go up to the store. I buy like a 12 pack of beer and we get some toilet paper. And while we're in there, Joey goes, oh, crap. And I go, what? And he goes, I just realized I left my girlfriend at home with one of the five people on her list. Get the damn toilet paper. Hurry up. We got to get back home. And so Joey and I are racing back home <laughs> thinking, yeah. what, what have we done? What, how stupid are we? I remember thinking, what have, what have we done? And then I remember thinking, you know what? You can do it. Do it. And, uh, <laughs> like right. if I'm in that same situation, see, I have to give that kind of flexibility so that I can receive it back. Absolutely. <laughs> For that time when I'm with Zoe Dashnow and you and Summer leave. Exactly. Absolutely. I got you. I got oh, you. Oh, I love that She's Zoe's on, on your list. Center. Oh, I, I like that. Listen, I'm not saying no to Zoe. Joey, <laughs> Zoe. I just love, we come racing back in the house and we're like sweating. <laughs> Summer's sitting on the couch and Kitchen's over there on the computer. He's like, why the hell are you guys breathing so hard? I'm like, yeah. don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. Did you get the beer and the toilet paper? Of course. Oh, great. Yeah, mission accomplished. Stacy, the end of that, talking about the antlers and stuff, was that Kitsch couldn't keep it together. And so when I said that, I was really saying, what the hell's so funny, man? And, yeah. and that was what's so great about the editing on the show. I, I look back on some of those scenes. That was the line that they were trying to get to was so real. Yeah. And why they kept that. Because when I first watched, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I felt like I was Guy Raston then. Oh, and then, yeah. I, but I was like, don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, because it's so good, you know? Yeah. It's so good. And I could tell that that was Taylor Kitsch laughing and not Tim Riggins, but it still yeah. works so much in this scene. Because, like, you're serious. Like, I'm going to hunt these animals. Yeah. Quit interfering with my process. Was the Patrick Swayze line an improv line, or was that actually scripted? That was scripted. Okay. So good. I was interested <laughs> really watching that back how. Taylor, because in relation to me, how that stuff worked, but that when he was under stress, like when he goes in to tell all the football players, like when he's really under pressure, 
he always uses humor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's his go-to. Which I think is a really cool thing about Tim Riggins and, and a really good insight into how people deal with things. Yeah. What was it like filming in the meth lab? As cool as you would think it was. I mean, when you go back and watch it and just the slow over all the equipment, and this was before meth was hit from... <laughs> right, pre-breaking from bad. bad. Pre-breaking bad. But, yeah. you know, all of us would love to be the love interest and, and play those type of things. But there is a lot of fun to getting to do the kind of dirty things and yeah. getting to be in that meth lab and then walking up and your kind of creepiest intonation of saying, hey, Tim, or I forgot exactly what I said, and just getting those shots of you in there and the pressure, because it's so, it was so small. So the pressure was was tangible and things are so real on FNL because you're always, you're not shooting on a set. It's not something not flying something in like you might if you're on stage somewhere. It feels so real that it just really, that was a very, very tense kind of scene after everything had been really just so much fun. And I, I mean, when I look back at that, I look at tapes and different stuff on my reel, and it's one of my favorite scenes to have, even though it's not very long because of the tension, I think, that played through it. And just because it's, I mean, it's badass. It's kind of fun to look at, you know? Yeah. Just think that it was somebody's job, like a, a set designer or somebody's job to figure out what a meth lab looked like, and then they created it for you. It was intricate and like pre-breaking bad, like we were saying. It's that was best. one of the things about Friday Night Lights in general, because we never actually shot on like a soundstage. So I, I remember specifically later in this season when you and I have a scene Joey and Taylor and I show up at your house. I remember they were going to walk us onto set. You know, when you show up to set, there's usually like an AD that'll come over and be like, hey guys, I'll take you to set. And I was like, I don't actually want to go in there yet. I want to go in there when we start shooting. Because I know, because that th this is an actual location, when I walk in there, it's going to smell a certain way. It's going to look a certain way. I don't want to know where all this stuff is. So when I walked in, I literally walked in as Billy going, oh crap, this is where my brother's been the past you know, however many months since he left, you know? So there was this sense of guilt, I think, that Billy has by walking in there and seeing the environment that his brother's been forced to be in. And, yeah. you know, all this because he was chasing some tail. Y'all probably talked about this ad nauseum, but for an actor coming in, y'all were already comfortable. And maybe you felt this at the very beginning, because I know Pete and, and people made it a very comfortable set, but for a stage actor, I don't know if the audience knows how welcoming this was because we're so used to hitting marks. We're so used to this stuff. I remember being in there that first day and you just got badass ACs and operators and stuff that are just in the mess with you. Yeah. And they're just kind yeah. of letting you go over and over. And I think most of the times they're trying to, at least what I always heard was they're trying to edit out of that one great take, which just mm -hmm. gave you so much freedom. Not that we can't do those other things. They're just so much fun. And it was so easy, especially when you're already dealing with, you're going to be improvising, you're under tremendous of stress, how welcoming that set was for a guest star actor like me that coming me in. Happy. And then, then to then get to film, you're talking about the scene we did, which is in the next episode. But pretty surreal. I mean, we're 28 or 29, and it's been 10 years since we played Hamlet. I say we played Hamlet, so it sounds like one of us did. <laughs> yeah, man. Derek's <laughs> only we talked about it five times on the show. And I played Francisco and Osric and Guildenstern. The other cool thing about the meth lab scene was, and I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but Reiner was a great still photographer. Yeah. And so he loved that set so much. You're kind of talking about how cool it looks. So he had me come out there, and he shot these stills one time I was at Reiner's house in LA, he showed me some of that stuff that he had taken over the years. He's a beautiful photographer. Yeah, he's yeah. beautiful black and white photography, like gorgeous. Yeah. Just watching this episode made my heart so happy. The embarrassment of riches that you and Derek and Steve 
we're all together on a network show. And like, I was buddies with you guys too. And it just feels like, God, we were so lucky. No, it was nuts. It was such a surreal time in our lives, honestly, because I'd known all you guys before this, you know? And then to have all of us working together on this show at the same time, I was going to ask you, Joey, like, I remember specifically the scene that we're talking about later in this season. But what do you remember from those experiences, you and I shooting stuff together? Because we got to have a scene together in season three as well. All I remember from the one in season three, though, is that I run like a dork. And you and I have joked about that numerous times (laughs) every time we've watched it. It's like, why do you run like that? I'm like, shut up. First of all, I did not remember Steve was in that. And Ashley Wood is one of my best friends. I love love Ashley Wood. I did not know Ashley was on our show until last night when I watched it. I freaked out. And then me, Derek, and Steve were together 24-7 during the second thought days when we're all doing theater in Dallas. And so for the three of us, I mean, we were always together, the three of us. So for us to be on the, not just on the show, on the same episode, and then for me and Derek to get to work together, it was surreal. There was a comfort level to it. I think there was a competitive level to it. One of the great things about improvising is you can kind of let yourself go and kind of get to some of your own stuff. And when we have the fight scene, I guess we don't want to spoiler, but you can spoil spoil it. And it's episode eight or nine, and we kind of get into it. You know, me and you start getting into what we might say to each other if we were really mad. And I think you called me a fat ass. I think you called me short first. And I called you, no, 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 no. (laughs) Check the tape, Miranda. I think you called me fat first. I called you short. But either way, it was fine. Like, I was and you were. (laughs) Still am. You're thin now, and I'm still short. I'm I'm thinner. Uh, So... Everything was relative, right? But that kind of comfort to be able to do that because it worked for the characters. That's exactly what they would have been doing. And it's just not always like that. And we've all talked about this a ton too. To think about those kind of golden second thought Dallas theater years morphing into all the people that we were pretty close to them working on Triant Lights and everybody up in LA. You know, we may not be the brat pack, but we probably deserve (laughs) some regional name for um, moderate success. I'm an honorary Baylor just because of the group. Like you guys welcomed me so much into your groups. Got to be some sort of like second bears ragtag group. Jeffrey Reiner pulled me aside one day and he was like, what the hell is going on at the second thought theater? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, everyone that comes out of there is great. And I'm like, well, you know, we have good taste. I don't think I maybe noticed it or picked up on it at the time, but there really was this like renaissance in some respects going on in Dallas. There was all these very talented people down there. There's probably yeah. more now. Yeah. It really was. It was a magical time for all of us back then. And not you know? even realizing it at the time because it was all of our first network show and realizing later like, oh, it's not always like that. For me, it's never going to be like that again. Oh, no, I mean, I, I think I was very much aware of it. I was definitely embracing the moment, realizing this probably isn't going to last forever. Derek, you had future nostalgia. <laughs> exactly. There was one time that I was down there shooting, you were down there shooting, and I think you might have wrapped out before I did. But I still had my hotel for a couple of days. So I was like, stick around for a couple of days and you can stay in my hotel. And so you stayed in my hotel. And then I didn't realize how much Joey snored. Joey got in there and I couldn't sleep for like the next day and a half because of the snoring. Well, it's because of sinus problems. That's on you, Derek. That's on you. It's my fault. That's just science. It was also one night where Steve Walters, same kind of thing where I had wrapped out early and Steve had his hotel still. So Steve and I went out and he had like a little pullout couch in his hotel room. Does Steve also snore? No. So this is a different story and it's embarrassing. I don't know why I'm telling this about myself. But anyway, so I'm sleeping on the pullout couch and at like eight o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I'm like, Steve, 
why the hell are you sleeping next to me? Turns out I got up in the middle of the night, got into Steve's bed and was like wrapped around Steve. And Steve is like, why are you touching me? And I'm like, I don't know what it's is going science. on here. Did you say sinus or science? It's just, no. it's just science. You guys, this is a thing. Derek is a night cuddler. I am a like, night No cuddler. matter who is next to him, you will wake up being cuddled by Derek. You have to put a barrier pillow between you and Derek and then he'll cuddle yeah. the pillow. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can. <laughs> Sometimes you can just embrace it and let it let it yeah. be what it is. <laughs> hey, Joey, how would you say that FNL has affected your life after? Well, it feels like it changed everything, even though now I'm closer to Austin than I've ever been. You know, Reiner was so good to me. He was a big fan and he really encouraged me to go to L.A. And in L.A., I was able to do some things and be a part of things. You mentioned Fruitvale Station earlier, which, by the way, is a, a great story. It's a great FNL story, although we haven't really got much to Michael, if y'all want me to tell it. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> but Derek worked with, Michael B a ton in seasons four and five. Yeah. And because of that, we were all living in LA. You and Mike were pretty friendly in LA. And because me yeah. and you were really close, I became friendly with Mike. I was playing basketball. A lot of people don't realize that Guy Raston can really ball, but I can. Actually, yeah, Joey's a great athlete. No, wait, pause. I just, sorry. We also, this group that we're talking about in Dallas, we used to go to a bar that we could play volleyball at. There is a serve that Joey has that we deemed illegal because nobody could ever return his volleyball serve. You're ridiculously athletic. That's just science. So we were, um, <laughs> so yeah, Michael and I were playing basketball some, and I mean, we were friendly. I'd, I'd been up there and hung out with him a few times, but it wasn't like we were really close. And I never worked with him on FNL, but he, he was familiar with me. And when they started to cast Fruitvale Station, they had somebody that they thought was going to work. And I think he ended up getting a different gig and had to sign. And then Mike called me on the phone and said, hey, he was already up in Oakland. He called me and said, hey, man, there's this part in Fruitvale that I think you might be right for. Would love to have you audition for it. And I think that's one of the few auditions we used to joke, Derek, that I put on without you because I think you watched it later. It's like, that was damn good. And we've decided that maybe you were the reason my auditions weren't any good. (laughs) (laughs) So you asked like what FNL did. It's those connections. I mean, even though I was just a person that did five or six, uh, I did six episodes FNL. It was such a family. And that was kind of the interesting thing about it being in Texas. It didn't feel like Hollywood. There were a lot of Texas actors that have now gone to LA and come back and there's this community. But while in LA, you know, Jesse Plemons became one of my good friends. So you're all seeing each other. And then, you know, Jesse recommends you to his agent right there. My agent in LA kind of comes from my connections to FNL. The biggest, coolest probably film I've done until maybe recently and something I'm so proud to be a part of came from that. And I just think that Reiner cast me. I did a pilot with Liz Heldens. So it's just, it was a family. I'm so proud to be a part of it. And to get to do it with some of my very best friends was remarkable and very lucky. Hashtag blessed even. (laughs) You could say hashtag actor life, hashtag blessed. I do want to shout out, it's Fox and Gray Waco, the um, Instagram. There's a few things. I do live in Waco now, which Mm -hmm. is where all great actors in their 40s live. We've done some entrepreneurial things here. We have a bar called Freight Ice House and Yard Bar. We have some retail that summer who was never tarnished by Taylor Kitsch (laughs) (laughs) that we own kind of in the silo district. Waco, crazily, is is kind of one of the fastest growing towns. And then I got some food trucks and stuff. And then weirdly, you know, I've had a, a really nice year acting, which is weird because you're in Waco and I'm, I'm putting auditions on tapes to New York from this tiny town, Lorena, and a little office I have there. So it's been an interesting journey to end up back here. But yeah, if you're listening to this and you're in Waco, 
come support. Go to the Instagram because they have really cute clothes. My girls who are listening, that is all. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I know you got a million and one things going on right now. And it's always great to see your face, Joseph, and hear your voice. Hey, thank you all. I appreciate it. That's it for season two, episode eight. But please join us next time for episode nine, entitled The Confession. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.